I'd invite you to bow with me once more as we ask God's blessing on the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great teaching on this greatest commandment. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, your servant, and touch each heart. May we receive it as you intend, Lord, according to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses Mendelssohn tells the story of a woman who came to a great teacher and asked him this question. Teacher, how do I know of all of the religions in the world which is the right one? The teacher replied to this question with a story, a story of a great and wise king who had three sons. This king had a precious gift, a magic ring. This ring gave him great compassion, generosity, and a spirit of kindness. As he was dying, each of his sons went to him and asked the father for the ring after his death. And he promised to each of the sons that he would give him the ring. Now, how could he possibly give the ring to each of the three sons? For there was only one. Here's what he did. Before he died, he called in the finest jewelry maker of the land and asked him to make two identical copies of the ring. After his death, each of his sons was presented with a ring. Well, it wasn't long before each of the sons figured out that his brothers also had a ring, and therefore two of them had to be fakes. Only one of them could be the real thing, the genuine. And so they decided this had to be resolved. They went before a judge and asked the judge to help them determine which was the authentic ring, and then they could determine who the proper heir was to the realm. The judge, however, could not distinguish among the three rings. They were identical in every single way. And so he said, We shall watch and see which son behaves in the most gracious, generous, and kind manner, just as his father did. Then we will know which possesses the original ring. And so from that day on, each son lived as if he were the one with the genuine ring. And no one could tell which one was the most gracious, generous, or kind. Then the teacher, having told this story, said to the woman, If you wish to know which religion is true, watch and see which one reveals God's love for the world. What our world desperately needs more of today is people who bear the name of Christ, who will continue to reveal God's love for the world, both in word and in deed. Everyone is looking to see which one is real, which one is authentic. And they will see the example or the lack thereof in those who bear the name of their father. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, and you can turn there with me this morning. Leanne read it for us earlier, and I'll read it for us once more so it's fresh in our minds. We read this account from Jesus' life beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now to summarize these even further... To love God and to love people. Love God and love people. The greatest commands, another gospel says, the entire law is summed up in these two. 
It's the entirety of the law. Sounds so simple, right? And if we just do this, we have it all figured out. But while it's simple to say, it's not always easy to do. So how exactly do we love God and people in the way that Jesus describes so simply in this passage? Well, the primary way that we do this is love in the context of relationships. First, we must have a right relationship with God, and then out of that flows relationships with others. So it's vertical and it's horizontal. We love God, God loves us, we love others. This is the, the vertical and the horizontal. And so it first must go up. Before we have love to give to others, we must have love to give. We have love from God. As Michael Whitmer says, the one truth that everyone seems to agree on, from Moses through Jesus and on to Augustine and the Reformers, is that it's virtually impossible to please God without loving our neighbors. And so it is the primary way that we demonstrate our love for God is by showing the love he has given us to others. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, it states this so clearly. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. God is love. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. There's a difference. We can, we can do actions, and, and, and yet that's not who we are. But here it says that God not only acts in a loving manner, God is love. He embodies it. So for us to love is to actually emulate God, our creator. It is to be like him. It is to participate in the divine nature when we love. For all love, it says, is of God. All love stems from God. So when we love, we are participating in who God is. We are designed in his image, and he desires for us to be like him in every way. But we cannot give away something that we don't have. So if you find yourself struggling to love others, well then just forget about trying to conjure up more love in your heart on your own. We can't just grit our teeth and will ourselves to be more loving. You first need to go to the source of all love and receive. John says, love is of God. So that means that all of the love that you have, all of the love that this world has ever known, did not originate with people. It did not stem from the human heart or mind. All love, all love past, present, and future stems from the creator of love, from the essence of our God, our master, our creator. It comes from him. He is the source. So before you try to love others the way that God loves them, you need to go to God and receive his love for yourself. And this is not just a one-time event, though it must happen the first time. 
So often, I think as Christians, we get stuck in the mode of, yes, I went, to, I went to the cross, I received Jesus as Savior, his love was poured out in my heart, I felt the release, the forgiveness of sin, the pardon, I became a child of God, and hallelujah for that. It needs to happen the first time, but it is not only a one-time event, it is a daily walk as we walk in the love of God and receive his love on an ongoing basis. It's not just like if you were to get married, you go to the altar one time and say, yes, I will love you my whole life and never say it again. It is an ongoing act in marriage of loving one another daily in word and in action. So it is with God. It starts at the altar, as it were, where we first receive him, but it goes on day by day by day. We are filled by the love of God as we walk in relationship with him. And so we must receive that love, rest in that love, be filled up by that love from head to toe, and then we go out with it. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and most importantly, knows God. But now, while the command to love God and others is so simple, children can understand it, the application often is not. We live in a world today where many people and groups are in fact claiming the high ground that they are in fact the loving ones. They are the compassionate ones. And yet, in their words and actions, they spew hate and aggressively oppose and seek to silence all who disagree with their beliefs and worldview. And in the height of irony, more and more I am hearing all around the accusations levied at the church levied at Christians that we are somehow the hate mongers because we do not agree with our culture's beliefs about things like abortion and sexuality and euthanasia. But the fact is that true love, genuine love, does not require agreement with the other person's actions or beliefs. In fact, the greatest act of love this world has ever seen was demonstrated when while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. You see, Christ did not come and die for us because he agreed with how we were living. He did not agree with our sin. Instead, he disagreed with how we were living. He disagreed with our sins so strongly that he put his own life, body, blood, and spirit on the line to die for us so that we could break free from the bondage of sin, be forgiven, and live in true freedom. You see, the love that motivated Jesus to go to the cross was not motivated by agreement with us, but by disagreement. He loved us enough to tell us that our sins demand judgment and, in fact, condemnation, and then loved us even more to freely provide us with the way of escape and freedom. And in this tremendous act of divine intervention, we see God's heart and the core of his being. This is love, true love. And this is what our troubled world so desperately needs more of. The world says love is to agree with me. No, true love is to disagree with how the world is living, trapped in sin, headed for an eternity apart from Christ, that we disagree so strongly that we go out with the message of Christ, saying salvation is found in no other than the name of Jesus. We go out because we disagree Not because we agree. We love the way Christ loved. The world's definition of love is false. It is broken. It is shallow. It is empty. But the love of heaven is another thing entirely. 
It goes out in spite of opposition. It goes out in spite of persecution. And it goes out to set captives free. And so this reveals the heart of God, the love of God. And this is what we are called to do with God in return and to our fellow man, even and especially when it's hard. And so to love is our primary responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. To love not the way the world describes it, not going around saying, hey, I'm buddies with everyone, I agree with everyone. No, to love the way that Christ loved us, to confront us in our sin so that we could be set free. Now, the call of love. Who specifically are we to love? Well, we we begin, of course, after we love God, with our fellow man, we begin with those closest to us. We begin with our family. Now, love in the family of God begins with the Heavenly Father. And in the same way, God has designed love in the earthly family to begin with the earthly father. This begins in the marriage relationship. Paul writes in Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here we see that the husband, if he is loving his wife in a Christ-like and selfless way, that immediately sets the right tone for the following passage, where the wife gladly reciprocates in love to him through willing submission to his leadership and acts of service and kindness towards him and their family. This then sets the tone for the entire family, as children are raised in an environment of love, which is demonstrated every single day in tangible acts of kindness and service to one another. Now, of course, sometimes loving family is easy, And sometimes, and often more often, it's hard. But showing love always begins with those closest to us. I so often see a disconnect in this realm, where people go out and say, I'm doing loving actions out in the community, in the world, and yet you look close to home, and you see what's happening in the family, and there's a disconnect, something's missing. There's not love at home, and yet they're trying to show love in the community. This is backwards. Love must begin at home. God always puts the first mandate to say, Husbands, love your wives. And everything ripples outward from this. And so as fathers, as husbands, that command is on us to set the tone in our family. We begin by loving our wives, not by the world's definition, but by God's, which is Christ loving the church and giving himself sacrificially for her. Tom Toole, the pastor of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York, tells a story of a wedding he once conducted. Pastor Toole was requested to perform this wedding, not in a church, but out on a farm. And the reason was because the bride's mother had an advanced case of Alzheimer's. She was barely conscious. She never responded with words. All she could do was drool and groan, which she did most of the time. The couple wanted to be wed on the family farm so that the mother could attend the daughter's wedding. Pastor Toole arrived to find a large front porch that had been beautifully decorated with ornate white chairs. The members of the bridal party were all there. They were graduates of Harvard, Stanford, Duke, and Dartmouth. They all had either MBAs or law degrees and were beginning their respective careers in high-paying and prestigious professions. They were bright, beautiful young people who had the misfortune of being overly aware of their elite status in life and loved to show it. When Pastor Toole checked on the bride about 30 minutes before the service began, 
She asked if it would be all right if her father took her mother up to the first row. She assured him that if her mother's groans grew too loud, they would take her out. Tool said, of course, that would be completely fine. And so the hour arrived, and the father of the bride carried his frail little wife up the aisle. He sat down in the very front row and held her in his arms like a child. Then the groomsmen walked in, following the, followed by the bridesmaids. They all looked arrogant and aloof. And when the bride and groom finally took their places, the minister led them in sharing their wedding vows. I, Andrew, take you, Melissa, to be my wedded wife. And I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband. And that's when it happened, related Pastor Tua later. As those sacred vows were being exchanged and spoken, that frail little mother whose Alzheimer's didn't even allow her to recognize her own daughter at the altar suddenly looked up at her husband with a light of recognition in her eyes and she began to groan along loudly with the words, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, for as long as we both shall live. And the husband, cradling his wife in his arms, had tears streaming down his face. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit penetrated those groomsmen. And they heard those sacred words in all their fullness. You could see it wash over their faces. Suddenly, they were not so assured of being bright, beautiful young people whose futures were based on money and power and prestige. It was as if they realized for the first time that despite their young, brilliant lives, something could someday go wrong. And what then? Fifty years earlier, the father of the bride and his wife, now cradled in his arms, had spoken those same vows. And everyone in that wedding party was saying, look at them now. She can't even respond. And the tears welled up in their eyes as they realized that life doesn't always play out as you plan. You can run into problems you never dreamed of encountering. And that husband cradling his wife of 50 years earned a PhD in loving, says Pastor Tool. He finished the race and kept his vows. He cared for his wife until the end. This is a powerful example of how sharing love begins with those closest to us. In the family, in the marriage, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is a powerful example of a man living that out. And of course, when times are good, those vows are easy. But when times are tough, this is when true love comes to the forefront. But true love cannot only stop at home. It starts at home, but it must go beyond. It must go outward from those we know to those we don't know. And even complete strangers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus asked this question. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Someone once wrote in the well-known newspaper column, Ann Landers, and shared the following story. Someone wrote in, said, Dear Ann Landers, I'm a 46-year-old woman divorced with three grown children. After several months of chemotherapy following a mastectomy for breast cancer, I was starting to put my life back together when my doctor called up with the results of my last checkup. They had found more cancer. I was devastated. My relatives had not been supportive. I was the first person in the family to have cancer, 
and they didn't know how to behave towards me. They tried to be kind, but I had the feeling they were afraid it was contagious. They called on the phone to see how I was doing, but they kept their distance. That really hurt. Last Saturday, I headed, I headed for the laundromat. You see the same people there almost every week. We exchange greetings and make small talk. So I pulled into the parking lot, determined not to look depressed, but my spirits were low. While taking my laundry out of the car, I looked up and saw a man, one of the regulars, leaving with his bundle. He smiled and said to me cheerfully, Good morning. How are you today? And suddenly I just lost control of myself and blurted out, It's the worst day of my life. I have more cancer. And I began to weep. And he just took it in stride. He put his arm around me and just let me sob. And finally he said, I understand. My wife has been through it too. After a few minutes, I felt better. I stammered out my thanks and I proceeded on to do my laundry. About 15 minutes later, the man came back in, this time with his wife. And without saying a word, she walked over and just hugged me. And then she said, I've been there too. Feel free to talk to me. I know what you're going through. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Here was a total stranger taking her time to give me emotional support and courage to face the future at a time when I was ready to give up. I hope to God that he gives me a chance to do for someone else what that wonderful man and woman did for me. Meanwhile, Anne, please let your readers know that even though there are a lot of hard-hearted people in this world, there are some incredibly generous and loving ones too. Now this story again shows us what it looks like to love those we don't even know. Complete strangers. So often it comes to us unexpectedly, out of the blue, and yet an opportunity is there. Will we take the time to show love? To go out of our way to give to someone what they so desperately need in that moment. For who knows that God hasn't brought us in their path for such a moment. As Queen Esther, for such a time as this. You know, it's somewhat easier and it's expected that we love people at home. And of course, we can always do that better. But what about those we don't know so well? How about the server in the restaurant? The clerk in the convenience store? The single mother next door who you know is struggling to make ends meet. The awkward boy in your class at school. The one that everyone picks on. Or the shy girl who sits by herself at lunch. What about that homeless man who approaches you for a handout? What about when you see on TV that orphan child on the other side of the world? Complete stranger, and yet something says you could show love to them too. You could sponsor that child. There are so many ways where love is called out of us to those we don't even know, complete strangers. But you see, the test of Christian love does not end at how we treat the folks at home, though we can always do better. It extends to how we treat perfect strangers. This is Jesus' call for us, but it does not end there either. Christian love, the sort that Christ showed for the world, must go even further. It goes to loving even our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. 
One man who exemplified this highest call of love was a man named Dirk Willems. Born in the Netherlands in the 16th century, upon confession of faith in Christ, he was baptized as a young man, thereby going against and rejecting the infant baptism practiced by the Roman Catholic Church. This illegal action, plus his continued devotion to his new faith, led to his condemnation by the Roman Catholic Church, and he was subsequently arrested. Willems was held in a residential palace that had been turned into a prison, from which he escaped using a rope ladder made out of knotted rags. Using this, he was able to climb out of the prison and onto the frozen moat below. A guard noticed his escape and began to give chase. Willems was able to traverse the thin ice of of the frozen pond without breaking through because of his lighter weight after subsisting on prison rations. However, the pursuing guard, wearing heavy armor, broke through the ice and yelled for help as he struggled in the icy water. With freedom looming ahead of him, just within his grasp, incredibly, Willem stopped. He turned back, and he reached out his hand to pull the guard out of the river, saving his life. As thanks for his actions, Willems was recaptured and immediately imprisoned until he was finally burned at the stake near his hometown on May 16, 1569. Though he burned, the world heard his story, and it has never been forgotten that a man could love in that way to go back to rescue those who would kill him. You know, it's one thing to love your wife, to love your husband. It's another thing to love your children. Another thing to love a stranger. But to give one's life to save your enemy. That is the full embodiment of God's incredible love for the world. That God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This, my friends, is the highest form of love that anyone can ever aspire to. So may you receive God's love in all its fullness. May you love him in return with every fiber of your being. May his love fill your heart to overflowing, to your family, to strangers, and yes, even your enemies. May you be complete in his perfect love, lacking nothing. Amen. Heavenly Father, your love for us is so radical. It is so beyond our ability to comprehend, to imagine that you could love us so much that while we were your enemies, while every inclination of our hearts were towards evil and against you, you sent your Son, your only begotten, into a world that you knew would reject him, into a world that you knew would despise him and oppose him at every turn, and yes, into a world that would conspire to murder him in the most horrific way possible. And yet you did. You went to the cross. You took it all upon your own shoulders to set us free. And we love you because you first loved us, not because of anything that we had done, but because of who you are, that you are love, and all love comes from you. And so, Father, here today, we humbly confess That whatever love we have ever shown in our lives, whatever love we feel today towards you and towards those around us, towards even the strangers in our community, 
or even the enemies of our world, Lord, we humbly confess that it is a gift from you that we can love in even the smallest way that you have loved us. And so, Father, we pray that whatever love, true love, lies within us, that you would call it out of us in a greater way, that you would fan it into flame, that we would not just love in words, with lip service, but that we would love in actions and in truth. And so, Father, help us. For to love strangers and especially our enemies, those who would oppose us, those who would be political or ideological or even personal enemies, Lord, this is not natural. And yet, you can give us that kind of a love. And so we pray that you would pour your love, shine it abroad in our hearts, that we could love the way you have loved us so that the world could see you and respond to your invitation. Come. Come and receive free pardon. Come and receive salvation. And enter my family as a child of God. Father, help us to this end. Bless this your family, the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.